You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 21. I'm your host, Jennifer, and I am joined today by Chris and Jen. Hi, guys. And Jen is actually going to be our expert guest today. Uh, We wanted to talk about how to uh, make your home more sustainable, and um, Jen is a lead certified expert on that. So um, she's her, her day job when she's not hanging out with us here on the show is program manager for the National Defense Center for Energy and the Environment, which is a mouthful. Um, so Jen, tell us a little more about what you do and um, kind of your experience, I guess, in the green building world. Sure. So... Um, when I started out at Fort Hood a long time ago, I was the lead accredited professional at that Army installation to ensure that all the buildings were meeting the standards for high performance requirements, basically just reviewing the designs and specifications for new construction and making sure that it was energy efficient, water efficient, looking at the materials that were going into the building to make it more sustainable. And, you know, now I do something very different, but because we wanted to talk about um, how homeowners can improve the value of their home and decrease their bills for electrical and water, um, I was asked to talk about it on the show today. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Before we jump into that, um, I'm curious. So do most uh, government or army buildings require LEED certification? Is that kind of a blanket thing that they all build to now? Yeah, so there's a memorandum that always gets sent out every couple years because they revise it, but it requires a policy that requires all federal buildings to meet high-performance standards. And the Army adopted the LEED certification program, which stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. So that certification just has a rating system and it's easier to follow when um, you kind of have a ranking system and it's a little bit more um, robust than some of the other ones out there. So that was what the Army chose. That's that's pretty cool. It's good to know that um, that's kind of the standard across the board um, in the government or federal buildings right now. (laughs) Yeah, I actually got really interested in it because, you know, right out of school, you don't really learn about this kind of stuff in environmental science. But when I found out that the amount of impact we have with our buildings, whether it's your home or your office or retail, that is the majority of the use of electricity in the world. (laughs) So I think it trumps like, you know, for, for energy, at least, you know, it trumps some of the other industries out there. So um, when I found out the amount of impact you can have by just making a building more efficient, I was excited to get into that field. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity out there, like you said, whether it's your home or business. And um, there's a lot of buildings that weren't built to these standards, but that could probably be brought up to them. And like you said, just make a big difference. Um, So while we're talking about LEED, uh, can you kind of go over the I guess the process for getting certified for that and what that looks like and maybe um, kind of some of the steps that you talked about that that you have to follow to get a LEED certified building, whether it's a home or a different type of structure. Yeah, so there's 
seven or eight different rating systems within LEED. I think they keep growing. Um, so it could be for retail spaces. Some of it's just for interior spaces for renters. Um, you know, if you're a business and you don't own that building, but you're going to, you know, do the inside space. Um, so there's hospitals, um, commercial buildings, and obviously homes. So, um, Basically, the process would be is you have to hire um, a lead accredited professional to be on your design team if you don't already have one to consult and help them understand the process and the requirements. Um, and then you have design charrettes to determine what the owner's requirements are and you know what they want to put into this building and making sure they they understand what all the lead rating system points are, and then they can choose, you know, which components they want to include in the building, because obviously some stuff costs more than others, and it has, you know, a return on investment that's different. So um, you kind of weigh all those pros and cons with that team, um, and then from there you get it constructed. And that lead AP is usually the person that can enter in all the information into the lead online portal to ensure that they're going to get certification and credit for everything that they've done. And then they, the U.S. Green Building Council, who actually owns the lead rating system, um, they will they will ensure that the building meets those requirements and then they'll validate it. And then hopefully it all goes well and you can get your certification. Is it something they have to renew every year or like every few years? How does that work? No, for if, for if it's an initial kind of new construction, you just have that initial review. Um, I think they have been updating the rating system every year. So I think now you might have to submit like your energy bill or your water bill to prove that what your design building was supposed to create is actually in fact doing that. Um, but you don't, you wouldn't necessarily like lose your certification, I don't think, unless things have changed. <laughs> um, and then there's also something called like renovations. So as you own your building over time and you want to make modifications or maybe you bought an old building and you want to do renovations, there's a different rating system for that. And those are things you could do over a long period of time. Like maybe you're not going to do it all at once. And so you could over years kind of um, build that certification for the building. Cool. What are the uh, the main reasons people will get a, a certification like that? I mean, it's I'm sure some of it is altruistic, like I want to help the environment, but like you said, there's a cost savings uh, associated with a lot of that as well. Well, I think this all kind of initiated because a lot of architects and building owners we're already doing a lot of green features to their buildings and they felt like they couldn't really show it off and get credit for it. And so this create these rating systems and there's multiple programs out there other than lead, but it, it gives those individuals an opportunity to say, Hey, look, I got a lead platinum building and these are the savings that we're getting. And I, and I really think it was to help promote, you know, the issues we're having with climate change you know, architects felt like they have an impact and have the opportunity to make significant change in that area. And so this was kind of where it all came from. So that's the importance of it. And I think people want to do it because they know that, um, well, you know, one building owners want to get customers in the door and they know that this generation is interested in having green features. And so I think that's probably a lot of the reason that 
building owners want to do it is because they know that there's a desire for their customers. Yeah. It definitely makes it more interesting. And having seen a few lead buildings myself, you know, I can attest that like when I find out it's lead, I'm like, oh, I'm intrigued to go look around and find out, you know, what they did here or there. And usually they'll have signs and pictures showing it off, like you said, so you can kind of, you know, take it all in and, and then you're more likely to partake in whatever they're doing there. So, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of criticism in the beginning of all this, um, you know, greenwashing and stuff. So the certification process has evolved over time and they're trying to use the lead rating system um, as a means to ensure that not only are we validating that the buildings are in fact doing what they're designed to do, but also getting, you know, those energy bills and those water bills down, like in the investors in these properties want to have energy cost savings and return on those investments. And so that's why this rating system is good to have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so for the benefit of uh, Chris and anyone else not in the U.S. listening, is this an international certification or there's just the U.S.? you know, or <laughs> I think Chris missed the question. No, no, I was asking you, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was lead, a, is lead oh. an international yeah. certification thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So internationally lead is used. There's, um, U.S. Green Building Council has chapters in every major city, it seems, and they, it is a worldwide program. Awesome. Okay, Sorry, I so thought that question was <laughs> I may have phrased it confusingly. It's fine. It's okay. Um, okay, so Chris, do you have any questions before we move on to kind of the topic at hand here? Um, so are you finding that more and more building, like forget the whole mandate and everything like that, are more and more people voluntarily take wanting to do these um, certifications and, and actively seeking out wanting to be sustainable <clears throat> with their buildings and their property purchases, is there more of an uptick now than there was before? Yeah, I think in the beginning of LEED, um, there was a lot of heartache over the extra price that you had to pay to have a building LEED certified. But I think now that it's become more in, like mainstream and more people know how to do it, the costs have come down like anything new. You know, it's really kind of expensive in the beginning, like solar panels, you know, and now that it's more mainstream, the, the price has gone down. So it's similar like that for the certification program. So I think, yes, like in general, more people are wanting to do these certifications because they are seeing the benefit of it. You know, they have healthier buildings, they have happier um, personnel, you know, staff in their buildings, they have less turnover. So there's a lot of um, second and third order effects of having a healthy, sustainable building that people want to be in. And, um, you know, it's not always like a dollar figure, necessarily a direct return on investment type thing. It can have, you know, some stuff that you don't necessarily even think of, like, oh, I noticed that less people are calling in sick, you know, they actually want to be here <laughs> or they're not getting sick because the building doesn't have asbestos and lead-based paint in it and, you know, all these <laughs> things that make people have less energy and not feel well. So 
Um, yeah, I think. And light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like windows and. <laughs> so yeah, so I think I think too like a lot of chains out there like you know Walmart for example has started to adopt. Starbucks has started to adopt. So all these retail you know box. Um, I don't know, like buildings, they can just like copycat one another and they don't have to necessarily do a whole lot of work because their design is pretty much the same wherever they built. So when they, once they've done one building, they can do all the rest that way as well. So yeah, we've seen an upward interest in it. That's good. Um, the, well, you mentioned the cost. So, so what is that based on? Is that based on the size, the type, the construction, or kind of all of the above? The cost for the certification? Yeah. Um, it does vary based on the size of the project just because, you know, it's that many more components that would need to go into the building. So a hospital might cost a little bit more, like price per square foot compared to a regular retail space. Um, and so the, it, it, it just again depends on which features the building owner wants to put in. But as far as lead, like direct lead costs, those are all pretty much the same. Like, unless it just requires a whole lot more man hours because it's such a large project. But it should be pretty comparable to the size. Like, it's a percentage. It's, you know, awesome. but the cost to actually get it certified is the same. For everybody. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I have, uh, like I said, seen a few buildings, and if you have the chance to, to pop into one, I highly suggest it. I think the new um, Austin Public Library in downtown is certified lead, like Platinum, and they that that's a cool building. They have a rooftop garden and um, a lot of different features that make it just stand out, you know, just visually and the feel of it, you know, when you get in there. Um, and I've, I was very impressed. So if you're yeah, in an I area think, where you have a building, go check it out. <laughs> so I think the city of Austin has their own rating system. And so any city building has to meet those requirements. So even like the homeless shelter that they built downtown and city hall, you know, all those, you know, main like city owned buildings, they comply with the Austin Green Building certification, which is very cool. similar to LEED. They just, you know, have yeah. a little different yeah. format. Cool. Well, um, let's move into the residential side of things. So you mentioned that LEED has a residential component, and I'm curious to hear kind of what the suggestions are for that, and if does a, a homeowner or a home builder go through the same process as like a commercial building or is it a little different? It is a little bit different, just, you know, size wise, you know, a single family home is going to be, you know, average around 1500, 2000 square feet versus a commercial building that can be much larger. So, uh, the rating systems just vary based on, um, the type of building and what their energy consumption might be, you know, differing from a home and that kind of thing. So, um, but in general, they have these like five major categories that they typically look at and some of it varies here and there, but it's always kind of looking at the site. So, um, and I'll go into detail in all of these, but it's looking at the site, looking at water, energy, materials, and indoor air quality. So those are kind of the main five factors that 
Um, and also waste management is one of them as well. So um, those are kind of the main focus areas, I guess, of most trading systems. Um, so I guess to answer your question, the if it's a new if it's a new construction, like if you're a builder, you're gonna have more of a focus on the site and making sure you're meeting those requirements versus if you're already a homeowner, you know, there's not a whole lot that you can do. But in general, they always say, you know, location, location, location. So just <laughs> make sure that you're picking a spot that's not gonna be in like a flood zone or near a wetlands. Um you know, they typically want you to not have to cut down all a bunch of trees to put down your foundation on the home. So a site that's already been disturbed and you can just build on top of that site um, is kind of the things that they look at. They also look at close proximity to community resources so that you're not having to drive a long way for groceries and just things that you might need um, at your home. So uh, one of the other things is looking for permeable surfaces. So you don't want to kind of be in an area where everything is concreted and asphalt. You want to have some kind of grass or open paved system or gravel so water can get into the ground. And shade trees, like making sure your house can be shaded, uh, especially in Texas. <laughs> that really helps with your energy bill as well. So that's kind of the main things for the site that you would look at. Um, whether you're going to be buying a new home or if you're going to, you know, if, if you're a builder and you're building a home. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that or I can move on to water. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that would be more of a, a new construction um, concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you can't you can't really control a lot of this, the things when it comes to a site, but I guess the focus would be more on um, if you had to pick more urban than rural, right? Because you said like proximity to, to things. So if you're out in the country, you'd get kind of a lower rating or less focus on that than if you were in a city where there's already infrastructure and everything's nearby. Yeah. So some of the rating systems give points for high density buildings so if you're in you know a townhome for example um you know everything is going vertical instead of being spread out and disturbing more land um but then yes you'd also still want to make sure that you have some green space around you so you know it's finding a balancing act but and you can i feel like there's never like a perfect home like there's always something (laughs) wrong but yeah so if you're ever looking for a new home or you're going to be you know if you're a builder and you're building you know, you kind of want to find something that's closer to the community resources if you can, because that will reduce your transportation costs. Until we can get like floating homes and like there's grass <laughs> and then the house floats somehow or is on a pedestal. <laughs> get yeah. both. Well, a lot of people <laughs> build their houses on stilts. Like they well, leave the grass and the ground alone and they just, you know, yeah, put their car true. underneath it. Like park under the underneath the house. Without an actual garage, yeah. like there's no foundation. So, terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have. Seen and that. obviously, I know you're in Canada. So oh. here in Texas, we're gonna have a lot of, and that's one of the things that the energy when we get into energy is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Depending on your the region that you're in, there's a lot of different, like so it's called ASHRAE. Um, 
I can't remember the acronym, but it's this a standard for different energy requirements based on the region that you're in. And it'll tell you, if you live in this zone, this is the type of features you should be including in your building to make it more energy efficient. Yeah, but anyways. We were just talking about so just, oh, your floor would be so cold in the wintertime. <laughs> it would be terrible. Oh. See, oh, in yeah. Texas, we're like, oh, that creates air, and it'll keep the yeah. house cool. Right. <laughs> So well, that's we don't have basements here. Construction. So. <laughs> there's different construction techniques all around the world, yeah. depending on the climate. That's just how it is. Oh yeah, and I mean, you guys don't have to worry about snowboards. You don't have to be the closest. Yeah. We don't have to worry about earthquakes, so we're not worried about um, the engineering with that, and we don't have to worry about tornadoes and and But with the marsh too, like. So most of southern Ontario used to be a big giant marsh. So that's the problem that some new builders have is um, building on floodplains in marsh area that are going to flood. So uh, on the radio, they've um, done this campaign where if you are a developer or you've purchased a plot of land and you want to build on it, please contact the conservation area. They will have maps and site surveys to show you where um, areas on your land are prone, prone to floods or marshland and, and where would be the best spots to build so you don't so you avoid um you've built your home and then it floods things like that so how to avoid that kind of um insurance nightmare <laughs> yeah so it was interesting when i went to san antonio the um, a lot of the older homes around here are all pier and beam so it's just like beams that have been drilled into the ground and the, the house is actually, you know, kind of like floating above the soil. Um, so but it's actually, it's actually beneficial here because if you have high clay content in your soil, you get that like shrink and swell. And so your foundations crack and it causes problems and it could cost $30,000 to fix your foundation if you have a regular concrete slab. So having pier and beam, you can just do, you know, one or $2,000 tweak to make sure your house is still good to go every couple of years. Um, so yeah, some of these houses around here are like over a hundred years old and they're still in good condition. You know, they don't have all these cracked uh, drywall and foundation problems like some of the regular new foundations have. So yeah, the you have shifting to pay attention real. to your soil when you're buying a new home. Yeah. <laughs> And yep. always look in the garage because that's typically not going to have like wood or tile over it. And so if you see a lot of cracks in that concrete foundation, then you know it's going to be a problem. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to water. We good? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for water, um, there's a lot of different points you can get for having low flow toilets and faucets, um, shower heads. There's a water sense is the certification logo that you can see on some of the, the packaging that you can, you know, if you go to Walmart or Lowe's or something to buy fixtures, you want to look for the water sense logo. Um, and that could be on your dishwasher. So there's like a lot of these new dishwashers that are like, oh, we're going to get all the food off of your plate. You don't have to pre-wash at all. Well, you actually end up using like a ton more water. So um, that's just something to consider when you're buying new appliances. Um, and then obviously the number one user of water 
in Texas at least maybe is um, landscaping. So Mm -hmm. like paying for the sprinkler system. So another thing to look at is zero scaping by local plants. So zero scaping is like using rocks and like the Arizona type style landscape design. Um, A lot of people in San Antonio actually use like the fake grass. Um, turf. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Turf. Or you can just do like um, me and let the grass die and you don't have to cut it because yep. <laughs> lawns are stupid anyways, but <laughs> that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yes. And then some interesting things I've seen too is if you're able, depending on where your washing machine is located, I saw someone kind of like take the water hose out through a window, you know, the, the water that drains out of the Red washing water. machine and they like put it into a rainwater harvesting tank. Um, so you can also get rainwater, but you can also get the gray water from your washing machine pretty easily. Or just drill a hole through the side of your wall, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> um, so that's just kind of a little brief intro to water, like some of the things to look for. And if you're buying an existing home or you have a current home and you want to renovate, those are just some of the things. quick things you can do is all of your fixtures and appliances that use water. Um, so even like your washing machine, uh, getting the ones that are horizontal load instead of vertical from the top, it uses less water because it circulates the water. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, they call them side, side loader washing Front machines loading, instead yeah. of the top yeah. load kind. Yeah. Okay. And it also doesn't have that little like agitator thing in the middle. It's just kind of, um, there's nothing in there. So your clothes can't get like ripped up as easily. Mm-hmm. So the thing that just catches all the water. slime and grossness that, I, yeah, no, there's so it's like, some washing machines dirty. that are top, the washing machines that are top loaded have a center bar yeah. that like agitates and rotates. Like that doesn't yeah. exist in the side loaded washing. No, machines. I have one and it's just, it just gets gross. Like, Oh, like, Oh, in it and it gets, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, water is a big one that like a big way that people can make a difference Mm -hmm. in, like you said, the aerators in putting timers on things or fixing drips, like in addition to all the stuff we we talk about this, like all the previous episodes, but um, there's, huh? Baths. I've noticed we haven't had a bathtub for like over six years and we have a really small hot water tank here and it works great for us because we don't have to take baths. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have little ones who think baths constantly gross. Um, Yeah. Taking a bath all the time, it uses up so much water and it's so annoying. That's not comfortable. Bath every night's good. I want to say, depending on where you live, like in your region, up to 75% of your water bill can be landscaping. So, you know, one, don't have it. Or two, if you do have it, um, especially because you do want shade trees and stuff for your home and you want to keep them alive if you're in a drought area. But um, drip irrigation is one of the best approaches because it reduces the amount of evaporation. And there's always like kind of this general rule, at least in Texas, that you would want to water around like 4 or 5 a.m. Um, so that you're not, you know, the heat of the day, like losing a lot of the water to evaporation as well. So, yeah. Um, I, but yeah, so back to like behavior modification versus buying this really fancy, you know, low flow 
or um, like dishwasher. Like if you're if you're not fully loading the dishwasher 100% all the time, then you're going to be wasting water as well. So yeah. that's kind of the one of the things that I think Lead was looking at is, you know, it's great that we have all these design features and appliances and components, but if the people inside the building aren't using them properly and maintaining them properly, then you're not getting the benefit out of it um, as it's intended. So that's part of this conversation too, if we want, is like, what are some of the things you can do as far as an action a person can take versus, you know, what appliance should I buy? And the same goes for washing your clothes. If you just do half load or quarter load, you know, versus a full load, you're using almost the same amount of water or electricity, right, to wash less. Um, I had a question about water heaters because Chris mentioned this. Don't they make now um, smaller heaters that you can put at each appliance that are more efficient yeah. and they don't store the water like your yeah. old tanks that have like 100 gallons or something crazy? That's mm -hmm. called a tankless water heater. So at every kind of faucet or shower head that you have, um, there's this little box that heats up the water as it goes through the pipe. And so it can be electric or gas, depending on what, you know, system you want to use. I think gas is more efficient. Um, but yeah, I think I've seen it all over the world. Um, a little bit less prevalent in the U.S., but it, it's starting to get there. So I think that's the way to go. Personally. Are they more affordable? I mean, when you look at the cost of a giant water heater versus like you need four or five, maybe, I don't know, in your house. Yeah, I think um, I haven't priced them out to be able to answer that, but I think the the long term return on investment is there, uh, especially you know if you've got to shell out a couple thousand dollars for one of those huge water heaters um, that actually don't um, always perform very well if you're not maintaining it. Like a lot of people kind of forget about it, <laughs> and you are supposed to actually like drain them every year and because sediment from the water can collect have in the bottom, and so <laughs> never you don't have as much water <laughs> that can stay in there. So, yeah, there's all kinds yeah. of problems. <laughs> I've actually been thinking, you know, I need to look into maintenance for my water heater because it's it's been 10 years since I bought this place, and I have never done anything with it, and I'm terrified that it's just going to one day. So. Yeah. Like, I had a brand-new house when I first moved to, like, Temple, and I was just like, oh, this is a brand new house. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. It was like two or three years later, the water heater just stopped like working. And I was like, what? What's going on? And they were like, oh, you're supposed to drain this every year because the little, like there's certain little nodes that like can react if it hasn't been properly maintained oh, and it can burn out. Like some of the components can burn out. And maybe it's these newer, you know, like newer stuff sometimes doesn't always work as good as the older stuff. But yeah. Um, well, great. I'll add yeah. that to my never ending <laughs> list of repairs for my house. And I think too, people like it because, um, I don't know. It's, if you've got five people in your family and everyone wants to take a shower and, you know, maybe you have like two or three showers in your house. Like everybody can go at once. You don't have to worry about like, okay, we have yeah. to space everyone out and we have to put the oh, water yeah. heater, heat the water, water back up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not holding gallons and gallons of water and wasting it. Like, right. So I think yeah. the energy savings alone is what the, that return on investment comparison would be. 
Because you pay a lot of money to keep that water hot mm-hmm. 24-7 versus yeah. let's just turn on this little tankless water heater component for the brief, you know, 10-minute shower that you take. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely the way to go if you have the means to do so. Yeah, I think in uh, – we did a friend who built a house a couple of years ago, brand new, and I think – I hope this it's code now for brand new builds, residential builds to have the tankless water heaters just because they're more, they're more, they're more efficient now than when they first came out. Um, yeah. So he's got one in his house and he loves it because I mean, there's pros and cons pros. I mean, you're not sitting there being water all the time. Con is you have an endless supply of hot water. So <laughs> you're not staying, you're not, you know, crying in the shower and then all of a sudden it goes, cold and that's your time to get out it's, like, it's, like it's never gonna get cold ever so that's there's that too and it's, yeah. it's a, he loves it it's a great system and then for watering up here there's bylaws depending on the town so it depends on the, your house number so if you're an odd number you have to water your lawn on odd days from like seven at night to seven in the morning and things oh, like that a lot of people have automatic, automatic sprinklers and then some people um, tap into what's called a sandpoint. So then you're not using municipal water. You're just tapped into this, your own little personal aquifer. And, and you can do that. Ray's parents had a sandpoint in one of their houses in Sable Beach. And it was the best water ever. It was so good and so sweet. And uh, that's what they used to water their, their stuff. But again, they didn't water it every day. And it was usually in the evening. and. Yeah, but also you could just, you know, tear up your lawn and paint gardens instead in case the ones are, unless you have little kids running around, they're useful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is a good segue to energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the tankless water heater usually falls under the energy category. Because, um, you know, it's the electrical heating of it and all that. So... Uh, the first thing is to look for appliances that have the Energy Star logo certification on any of those types of appliances that you might buy. So your oven, um, what else? your HVAC unit, refrigerator, those types of things. Um, and I think even dishwashers will have Energy Star ratings as well. So you would look for the water sense and the energy star rating for those appliances. Um, and then, so for HVAC units also, there's something called a SEER rating and that can, you can just Google it. It's S E E R. Um, so whenever you're buying your HVAC unit, you could get something that is, you know, SEER 23. And, but the standard for a builder might be like SEER eight or 10. But when you look at the energy savings, it sometimes makes sense. So it's just a more efficient unit. And um, some of them can save up to like 50% compared to some of the SEER ratings that are a lot lower. So if you're buying or you're, if you're buying a home that already has one, ask what the SEER rating is. The higher the number, the better. Uh, I think it goes high as, you know, like 23, 24. Um, and, yeah, if you have to replace one, then that's kind of that return on investment calculation you're going to have to do based on what your electrical weight is and how much your annual payment is. And it'll you can calculate how fast you would 
you know, pay that unit off and just make sure that, you know, the unit is, has a warranty or is designed to last 10 plus years. Um, so you can kind of figure those financial decisions up um, on your own. Um, another thing is solar panels. There's a lot of rebate programs out there to put solar panels on your home. Um, I think even here in San Antonio, it's free to have it put on your house. And um, wow. so there's no like investment because the, the electricity goes to their main grid. And so you're not necessarily, you're helping them out. Like when you're not using electricity, you're not using, you're selling it back. Yeah. So it pays itself off pretty quickly. Um, another thing that a lot of people ignore is air leaks. So if you calculate, um, there's, you know, air leak detection technology out there, but most homeowners, you know, aren't going to do that. There's, and there's, you know, it's a thermal, it's a thermal image that you can get. So if it's a hot day and you see cool air coming out of your windows and doors, you know, you've got air leaks. And so, um, just an annual check on the caulking, like the sealant between the window and door and the home, like siding, whatever siding you have, uh, just making sure that you're and, and the best thing that I've done is just on like a windy day, <laughs> I can, you know, kind of put my hand around the doors and windows and see if I feel any drafts. Um, you know, if you can't afford to have thermal imaging done on your home. <laughs> um, so air leaks are important. Um, I've also seen these interesting like weather stripping that you can put at the bottom of a lot of door gaps and it'll help prevent like any air going in and out. Cause some of that flimsy weather stripping that you get from the original home is not really going to last very long and do, do a whole lot. So, um, you can replace that. We can do the tried um, and yeah. true like towel. <laughs> it's on the bottom of your doorway or whatever <laughs> blanket, whatever you have laying around. Yeah. If all else feels. Um, so there's windows, there's single pane, double pane, triple pane, triple pane. Obviously you would have, you know, more energy efficiency. It's preventing that thermal heat gain that goes through, through the window into the inside of your home. There's also films and tints that you can put on existing windows. So if you're not going to be replacing the entire window itself, um, you can buy this film that can go on the inside of your house. And it kind of like bounces the heat back outside. Um, I tried also... that. Is that the stuff you use the hairdryer for? So like, like the plastic film that you get heat and you put it on it. Anyways, it didn't work for me, but I also probably you couldn't did it get wrong. it to stick or I what? could not get it to stick. It took oh, okay. so long. I just felt ridiculous and I gave up. I was like so donating the rest here... of these to Habitat for Humanity. There's companies that you typically hire to do it. It's a more professional film and it'll stick and work. So <laughs> the do it yourself maybe is a little bit harder. But um, yeah, like, so I'm in a townhome. So there's 14 units and we're all, you know, kind of like side by side. And some, some of them did the, the thin film and they noticed that um, they had significant decrease in their electrical bill. Because uh, we have some west-facing windows, so that's another thing to look for. Is if you're buying a home, um, generally you want most of your windows facing north, if possible, so you can still get that light into the interior space, but you're not going to get as much heat gain just because of the angle of the sun 
and where it goes um, over the earth. So, um, you know, north and east sides of the house is the cooler parts. And so that's where you would want windows. You want to reduce the amount of windows that are on your south side and on your west side. And if you do have windows in those areas, you would want to have some kind of overhang. Um, so sometimes you'll see, you know, especially in commercial buildings, they'll have these large roof overhangs that kind of like jet out. Well, a lot of that is to block the sun and create shade on those windows, but still getting that light into the space. Um, and just so, giving yeah, me more projects for my house. It's <laughs> like, like I'm counting my windows. I'm like, three fourths of them are on the south and west sides. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so that is one thing like when. Oh, when, you know, builders are building, they, they'll let you know, oh, these are double pane windows. And, you know, so because single pane is pretty bad. It doesn't really create any kind of buffer. Um, but you could also get, you know, if you can't afford to replace the windows, using this thin film as an option, creating shade exteriorly with one of those like canvas kind of overhang situations could work. Um, I purchased solar shades and it blocks out 99% of the solar gain coming in through the window. It's one of those that just kind of like rolls up and down. It doesn't have any kind of blinds. It's just like a full piece of fabric. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot about windows and heat gain because you obviously half of your electricity bill is your HVAC unit. So the heat gain or loss, depending on the time of the season, is where you're going to be saving a lot of your money on your HVAC if you can keep like a, they call it having like a tight envelope, making sure you don't have those air leaks, and then also making sure you're reducing the amount of heat that can, or cold that can escape. So um, just things to think about. I can attest uh, to the double pane windows. I got them last year and um, my old ones would just sweat any time it got really cold or rainy, I mean, everything would come in and pile on the, you know, the windowsill. It was gross and annoying and freezing all the time. So these are much were prettier. Were they single too. pane? Yeah, they were single pane. And okay. Like, like you said, barely any buffer. Now mm -hmm. it's, it, there, there's two of them. So they, you know, insulate better and I can actually open my windows on a nice day as opposed to before. Half of them wouldn't work, so it brings yeah, down my Someone gave me like a visual, like when it came to air leaks, and they said if you if you were to count up all of the air leaks around every single window or door, because those are all penetrations through the main siding of your home, um, it would actually equate to like like a big size, like a basketball size hole, like just in your house. Like wow. imagine just like having a window open. So when you don't have that tight envelope, um, I mean, you know, obviously there's always going to be a little like wiggle room with that because you don't want it to be too tight. You know, you want some humidity to be able to escape. You don't want to create like a mold problem. Um, but again, it depends on climate and where you live and everything. So I always thought that was interesting, but insulation is another <laughs> one. So insulation in your walls is really important. If you're buying a new home, you know, ask them what is the installation value. It's called an R value. So the higher the number, the better. Um, and insulation in the roof. So a lot of people kind of got onto this like spray foam 
thing. You can spray the foam on the very top part of your roof um, instead of having that insulation that's on that bottom, like, lockable attic level in your home. Um, so that's an option. A lot of folks kind of, like, tried it out and maybe didn't like it because if they ever had a roof leak, you know, then they had to, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. figure out where the leak was. It's a little bit harder. So you know, that could be a problem. Um, but there's all kinds of insulation. They call it like bat insulation where it just goes on the floor level of the walkable part of your attic. And so that's just, you know, keeping a lot of the hot air that is gained into your roof out of the air conditioned space of your home. Um, and there's also something called a radiant heat barrier. It's this like, it looks like aluminum foil to me, but there's more to it. But they put it in the actual like roof um, component. So, you know, you have like your asphalt shingles or your metal roof. And then there's kind of like a waterproofing barrier. And then there's this radiant barrier. So any heat gain would kind of like bounce out. Same kind of concept to that thin film on the window. Um, so some of the newer houses I was looking at, they would be like, see, look. We left a little piece open so you could see there's a radiant barrier because <laughs> you wouldn't know that it's there, you know, unless uh-huh. someone left a little cutout to like show that it exists. Um, what else? So again, roof, roof material is important. So the, obviously the cheapest is going to be like your, um, asphalt shingles, which the majority of people have. Um, but you could get a little bit more energy efficiency from, um, like a lighter color. So if, instead of getting like a dark, dark black, which absorbs that heat, you could get a lighter white or, you know, tan or something beige. And so that would help. Um, more expensive options would be the metal roof, but that actually lasts like so much longer. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to live in this home for, you know, 10, 20 years, it could be worth putting a metal roof on just depending if you have a lot of hail, um, a lot of those asphalt shingles just That doesn't hold the heat too because it's a conductor? You, or? So it's painted with white, and so it okay. kind of, it's a reflection. Okay. Um, cool. So, and then you can, if you get, um, it's called standing seam metal roof. Those can easily be... Um, like solar panels can easily be attached to those Mm. Um, instead of having to make like penetrations into your actual roof surface. uh, They're able to kind of like clamp on to some of those um, areas within the roof a little bit easier when you have that standing seam metal roof. Um, What else have we not covered? Oh, so this is a behavior thing. Um, but it's also something you can buy. It's the programmable thermostat. Um, so that gives you the opportunity to dial in by the day, by the hour, what temperature you want your home to be at. And this can be a major cost savings as well. So if no one's in the home, you know, and it's winter time, you could have it all the way down to like 60 if you wanted to. And then you have it set to ramp it up to 65 before people are going to be arriving. So it's warmed up a little bit. Um, and then in the summertime, so there's kind of ranges of where people tell you to like, you know, you don't want to go too cold because <laughs> then your pipes might freeze or something. Probably not, but, <laughs> um, 
you know, you just don't, you don't want to overwork your system too much. So there's kind of like a, a, a happy range. So you kind of don't want to go below, you know, 62 and you wouldn't want to go above, you know, 68, 69 when you're in the home as far as heat temperatures are concerned. Um, and in the summertime, if you're not home, you generally would keep it around like 78 if you're, you know, not in the home. And then you could have it go to like 75, 74 when you're actually in the house. And, and a lot of people take liberties with those numbers because they want to save more energy. But sometimes if you go too high or too low, the system, the HVAC system has to work so hard to like create that temperature change within such a short period of time that it can kind of overwork it and you end up kind of wasting your savings in a way. So see my um, comfortable temperature in the summer is like a 78 degree AC and that's way too hot for most people, but I'm very cold flooded and I, I love it. Like I'm perfect. But when I have people like, I over, I have to lower in the my house. <laughs> I'm not sweating though. That's the thing. I'm like comfortable. But when it's like any colder than that, I'm like bundled up and yeah, getting goosebumps because something's wrong with me. But well, one of the benefits too is like in Texas, we have a lot of ceiling fans. Which in California, when I grew up, we did not have ceiling fans, and so a ceiling fan can actually create a cooling effect on the body where without having to you know ramp down the the HVAC unit to cool yourself down. So those are just some behavior modification type stuff, but, you know, things that you would still have to buy. And what about <laughs> um, for our, our northern friends, uh, how efficient are things like furnaces and fireplaces, or are they not good for lead certification or energy savings? Like space heater um, situations. I think the 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 space heaters are probably pretty efficient, honestly. I mean, because you you're only having to cool that one little space when you need it. Like you're turning that dial on by hand. Um, but obviously, you're suffering a little bit if it is cold and it's not turned on. <laughs> Whereas, you know, with the HVAC unit, you've got it kind of preset. And I mean, I don't know. I don't live in the cold, so I mean, unless there's some kind of like automatic programmable you know, radiant heater out there. <laughs> I'm not sure, but, um, they can drive yeah. your energy bills up though. Yeah. If you use them yeah. too much. So base heaters, we had space heaters in here before we realized that the insulation was crap. Our heating bill for the winter was insane because the heat was just escaping and it was so cold outside. But my in-laws, they go down to Florida, they have a place down there so they're there now, and their their house up here is set to 60, 60, 62 or something like that. It's around 16 degrees. And that's set to when they're gone because nobody's in the house. I go to check plants, but I'm not staying there. And then um, when they come back, that's when it goes back up. But they, my father-in-law gets cold, so it's set to like 72 because he's diabetic and has poor circulation. So it's a little warmer than well, my mother-in-law lights um but in the summertime we don't have air conditioning here but a lot of people i remember when my when i my sister-in-law was pregnant and she was pregnant over the summer and the house her house was freezing it was like <laughs> 66 or 67 she just had it cranked because she was just so hot all the time 
um, nothing would make her comfortable because she was so pregnant. But it froze the rest of us out of the house. We didn't want to go in because it was too cold. And the, the how hot it was outside compared to walking into our house was uncomfortable because you either walk in, you're freezing, and then you get used to it, and then you walk back outside, and you're overwhelmed by how hot it is. Mm-hmm. So I like that whole keeping it just a couple degrees cooler than what it is outside because I find you, you tend to deal with it better. You're not yeah. shocked to the system. It's probably one of those things, too, where, like, the newer models that exist, you know, might be more energy efficient than some of the old old stuff that's in some of those older houses. But right. I don't know. In general, like, so with LEED, you can get some extra points if you can create, um, like, individual temperature options. So, like, say you have, like, a multi-level home um, you would want to be able to, you know, have a couple thermostats to like create a different temperature. Cause if you're not using like a certain section of your home, you might be able to kind of like have a different temperature, but it's more, it's more prevalent with like commercial buildings and allowing the occupants to have control over their temperature at their office space. But, um, anyways, that's all I've got for energy. I'm sure there's a whole lot more that we've talked about on other shows as far as behavior is concerned. But when it comes turn to off your lights. stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Turn off your lights. Oh, LED lights. It. LED lights is the new thing. It's <laughs> uses a lot less. Yeah, it uses a lot less electricity. doesn't create as much heat, so you're not having to cool it off. Um, so, yeah. Okay, we can move on to materials, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> So with materials, uh, the number one thing to think about is like buy local. So one thing that comes to mind is, you know, any kind of stone material. So a lot of people like to use limestone in Texas because that's what our ground is made of. You, if you, you wouldn't necessarily want to buy like granite countertops from across the world, uh, you know, you're paying for that shipping. And it's also not very environmentally <laughs> conscious. So um, some of the cheaper things is um, like doing like a concrete countertop and it lasts long and it doesn't, doesn't necessarily use a lot of like toxic chemicals. So when you're looking at materials, you want to look at like what is it made out of? What could be off gassing from that material into the air and causing health problems? So carpets obviously are not ideal. Fabrics, you know, you want to keep them kind of more of a natural fiber than synthetic. Um, Paint and any kind of like sealants that you use in the home as well. You would want to make sure that those are, you know, like less toxic for the environment and how it's processed and then for, you know, the human beings that are going to be living in the building. Circulation. (laughs) That's (laughs) Um, important there. So also, the, so the major points you get in lead is looking at like recycled content. Um, so there's different, you know, like things you can look for when you're buying these materials. It'll tell you what percentage of recycled content they might have in any of these materials. And so um, looking at reclaimed items, you know, you might be able to repurpose some old, you know, wood or something and create some awesome wood floors or siding or something. Um, and then also when it comes to wood, look for the forest stewardship council seal. It's another little logo to look for on any kind of wood products. And that just makes sure that the wood was harvested sustainably and, um, 
What else? Also, like, so if you're thinking about, like, cabinets or even furniture, you know, those types of things, you would look at stuff that can be reused, reclaimed from older older items, um, and you can give it a new a new life. <laughs> um, so tonight, there's kind of a, yeah. On that note, can I brag real quick on my, um, my deck? I, I had my neighbor rebuild my deck because it was just, splinters and peeling paint and it was falling apart and he built new furniture out of my old deck like the wood from it and it's so cool like i i geek out about it just looking at it i'm like this used to be the floor and now i sit on it and it's cool too it's like unique nobody has it so yeah you make furniture out of this stuff you could like you said rebuild pieces of your house so you can get really creative Mm -hmm. with some of these these old items so anyways yeah so in lead you, there's like a calculation you do if you're able to use recycled content or regional materials or reclaiming old materials and putting them in the building and you get different points for your rating system depending on like what percentage of your overall cost of materials was like more sustainable option. Um, so this kind of overlaps with indoor air a little bit. We talked about like toxic chemicals going into the indoor space and so a lot of that is just for the health of the people breathing the air once the building has been built it's kind of like that new car smell right like (laughs) same thing happens in the new home it's all of those kind of chemicals from everything that got put into the inside of the house it's off gassing and you're breathing those things in so Um, With the paint, you would want low VOC, which is volatile organic compounds. It's basically those um, chemicals kind of breaking down from the paint and getting into the air. Um, So you would want to do some flushing of if it's a brand new, spanking new, whatever. You just painted. You want to make sure windows are open, you're getting fresh air in. Make sure you're timing it for the right kind of season to be able to do that so you're not going to create a mold problem or be wasting a lot of electricity. Um, so obviously in Texas, spring and fall, we would, you know, that's the time to paint. <laughs> you can keep the windows open. Um, what else? And then just in general, like, it's good to get some fresh air into your space. And so with the home, it's, you know, less common to have fresh air intake. Like you're, you're generally just recirculating the air that is in your home. The HVAC unit does not take outside air and bring it into your house. So it's just that fan that you see. It's just the propellant of like releasing the heat that it's sucking out of your, out of your home. So, um, open up some windows, open up some doors whenever you can. (laughs) When the weather is the same temperature that you would want inside your home, if that makes sense. So those temperature ranges that we talked about earlier, if it's that temperature outside, that's the time to have the doors and windows open and you can shut off your HVAC unit because it's within your comfortable zone of temperature. Um, so with air filters, you would want to look at the MERV rating, M-E-R-V. So um, the higher the MERV rating, it's going to have smaller pores in that air filter so you're not going to, it'll be capturing any kind of like air pollutants and bacteria and pollen and mold and all those kinds of things. So it can help keep, clean up your air a little bit better. But you also don't want to go too high if you're not going to be replacing that air filter regularly because it, once it gets clogged, then your HVAC unit is 
working much harder to push air through. So if you're going to buy a high MERV rated filter, you want to make sure that you're replacing that every month. Um, even though it says it can last 90 days, I wouldn't trust that. <laughs> um, so a lot of people will just do a smaller MERV rating because they're not necessarily worried. You know, they open their windows all the time and they think they have good air quality or maybe they don't have allergy problems, you know, those kinds of things. And so they'll get a lower MERV rating air filter. It's cheaper and, you know, you can replace that every, you know, 60 days or so. Would you um, recommend a um, air purifier? It or just depends. I mean, a lot of those can just use a lot of electricity and not actually create much of a difference for your airspace. So just do your research. Yeah. Like all of our previous shows, everyone has to, you know, kind of like read up on it, do your research, figure out, you know, what's going to work best for your space and your area. Like I live in downtown San Antonio. Air quality is probably not great. So it's important for me to, to do that. But if you live out in the country and you know, you're, you're not too worried about <laughs> polluted air, then it, it might not be a problem. Um, but a lot of people have like seasonal allergies too, so it might be nice to get the pollens and stuff out of mm -hmm. out of your system. So, um, so yeah, I guess I would recommend if you you do have those issues, just put it next to your bed because that's where you spend the majority of your time inside your home. Um, and then, yeah, so that's the MERV rating for the air filter. Um, any kind of like chemicals that you might be using to clean your home or like, uh, I think there's a certification called Green Guard. And so you can look for that logo when you're looking for any kind of like paints or um, sealants, any of those kinds of like chemicals that you would be using. There's a Green Guard certification. It basically just makes sure that it has low VOCs, like low, COV, low VOC paints um, is one of the main ones. Um, so that's all I have for air. And then we can get into waste and recycling. So, um, whenever you're building a new building, LEED really wants you to not throw all of the construction waste into the landfill. So they want you to find ways to recycle it, reuse it, donate it, those types of things. But if you already own your home, then, um, they want you to look at making sure you have recycling and compost stations that are co-mingled. So it, it increases the amount of the recycling rate um, if everything is like next to each other because people are lazy. And if you don't have a recycle bin, you know, nearby, it's going to go in the trash. <laughs> so especially if you have a lot of guests that come over and that kind of thing. But this is, again, more geared towards, you know, office buildings and that kind of stuff. Um, da, 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 what else? So, yeah, and then there's the non-toxic pest control. So a lot of people spray the exterior or interior of their homes to keep the pests out. And there are, like, organic, less toxic options out there. So, again, you know, look at what's out there in your area. Or if you're hiring someone to do that, ask them to use organic. They have it. It exists. <laughs> it might cost you a little bit more, but, you know, you might not be causing health problems for yourself down the line. So um, that's important to look at as well. And then obviously, as Chris is familiar, home size is, is an important factor. The bigger the home, you know, the, the more you're paying to keep the interior space cool or hot, depending on what season it is. So your electric bill and your water bill tend to go up the bigger the, the home that you have. So um, 
And then just look for durability. You know, like we talk about for all of our other shows, buy stuff that's going to last a long time <laughs> for your house. Um, look for those long-term investments. Um, you know, don't buy the cheap flooring that's going to like scratch and scuff and fall apart or break down within a year or two. You know, um, concrete flooring is great if you have that option because you don't have to put anything on top of it. You can just stain the concrete. And um, if you're in a cold region, a lot of people put like radiant features in the floor so it keeps your floors warm. Um, and that's actually a good energy efficiency thing too because you, you can create the heat from the bottom up because uh, mm-hmm. heat rises. So um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> that's it y'all can God. start talking <laughs> jeez you hardly gave us anything to work with Jen <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry no, it that's is kind of hard because when you're buying a new house you kind of get wrapped up into the like oh look at those like wood floors and look mm-hmm. at those you know countertops and look at the bathroom and the size yeah. and you know it's hard you know it's like our culture it's, to yeah. want these things but um you can ask for it to be green. You can, you know, tell your realtor what you want and they can find it for you. So I think even some cities are requiring energy bills to be a part of the home buying process. So if you list your home, they're required to supply like the annual report that kind of shows you what the annual bill would be. Um, And I don't know that that's happening everywhere, but it's definitely something to for sure ask for because on the same street, someone's energy bill could be $400 and someone's could be like $100, depending on all that stuff we talked about today. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a good thing to consider. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then looking at, so for us, this is our buying another house. So this will be our fourth time doing this. Um, So at this point, it's like, how old are the windows? How old are the doors? What? How old is, is the HVAC? <laughs> How old is this house? What's been updated? What's the insulation situation like? What's the foundation like? Um, and what are the heating costs? What's it heated with? So it depends on where you live here. Um, we don't have natural gas here or in the town next to us. But in the town that we're looking at, they do have natural gas. And it is cheaper than heating your house with hydroelectricity. So... There's that too. It's like, I don't like having to heat the house with propane or natural gas, but heating it here where we are, it's just electric. It is more expensive. So our space is small, but our electric bill is comparable to that of a house that's like three times the size because it's that's all that's heating it. Even the fireplace is run on an electric fan. So Wait, doesn't Ray work for a nuclear power plant? It doesn't mean we get a discount. <laughs> get you. <laughs> you get a direct line to the. <laughs> no, and it's actually more expensive because we live in a rural area, so the oh. delivery fees are more. So if we lived in a uh, more populated area, our delivery fees would go down. Um, but the air quality is better here. So when you were saying air quality, I had the door and windows open the other day because it was like six degrees out. And I'm like, oh, it's like spring so I had everything open and it was really nice for like a couple hours and then it got cold but um yeah everything gets open as soon as we can because I like that that fresh air and even in the winter time if the fireplace is pumping out too much heat we open up windows and 
and, and do that. But yeah, looking at, I mean, as pretty as some things are, it's like, okay, yeah, but how well the windows? And has this been lovingly maintained? Yes, no. Why is it priced so high? Well, because they put a lot of work into it and it's worth it, so you don't have to. Or it's like, it needs a bulldozer. And that's yeah. Well, I once listened to a podcast uh, about green buildings and the person talking um, said that the greenest building is the one that already exists, meaning it, the energy and the resources it takes to build a new building, whether it's a house or a commercial building, um, you know, are, are pretty astronomical, especially if you're trying to you know, be as efficient as possible. It can, it can get expensive, but if you are looking at, from a resource perspective, something that's already there and rehabbing it and kind of retrofitting it, um, you're not disturbing another piece of land, like Jen said. You're not uh, getting raw resources, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to kind of look at the balance, I guess, between how much is it going to cost or how many resources am I going to have to replace versus if I do it new, you know, it, it's it's all kind of one of those situation to situation things. Yeah. So what happened in Austin maybe ten years ago has been happening in San Antonio the past five years, where they're renovating all the like east side of the downtown mm -hmm. areas, where um, generally it was you know low income, older homes over a hundred years. And they're basically bringing them down to the stud and the foundation mm -hmm. and they're, they're getting rid of everything else because it's so inefficient. Like, so that was a lot of the balancing act. Like you talked about, like some buildings really are just going to be a little too old <laughs> mm -hmm. to keep the windows and the siding and the roof and all that stuff. But again, you're not disturbing fresh forest to build a new home. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend buying a home that's like super old because you're going to put more into it. Uh, yeah. But again, you'd have to do those calculations depending on where you live to buy brand new versus to renovate something old and what that total cost would be. Because um, there is some renovation jobs that you're just like, money pit, what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. So there are some careful. really interesting um in creative buildings now though that are made of old shipping containers or yeah. vehicles even like people are kind of retrofitting them and making them tiny sometimes very tiny homes if it's like an old school yeah. bus or something but uh it can be done and it's it makes it a lot more interesting um and unique if you're able to do it well so yes if you're able to do it well that's the thing because i have yeah. seen some school bus conversions and I worry about them because they don't look like <laughs> the windows, the school bus windows. And those school bus no windows insulation. Are, and there's no insulation. Like those windows yeah. are to be lived in. So when people are like, we got a schoolie and here are all the windows, it's like, don't go <laughs> in a cold climate because you're going to freeze your butt off. Yeah. That's where all your Good luck. From. Yeah. And here we had single, for this building, the, our cottage was built in 1963. So when we bought it, it was the original single pane windows. So I remember before we did our bedroom, we had vaporberry over the window, but I still had to wear a tube to bed, a beanie to bed, because it was still so cold because the single pane did, it did not. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely, so they're all gone now, but yeah, single pane is, in a cottage that you're not living in, 
fine. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. And it's well, huge and, heat. Yeah. And um, there are some creative things you can do with, with some of the renovation materials if you're if you're looking to upgrade some things. Um, like if you're into gardening or you need storage space, you could build a shed or a greenhouse or some kind of a cold frame. Yeah. I was actually looking at like getting a an old window from the Habitat Restore and just using it for my plants to transition them to the outside. Um, but there's like yeah, greenhouse is made of nothing but windows and bottles. Yeah, and great. Yeah, like and, the, that, re- and so. the restore is fantastic. Even yeah. um, if you go to um, building supply stores um, like Home Depot or what's that equivalent? Lowe's. Uh, um, yeah. They have uh, windows and doors and stuff that have been returned that were either custom orders or um, just construction projects that got canceled. And they're at a reduced price. Yeah. And you can go in and ask for what's um, what they already have in stock. And that's how we got our patio doors because it was from a, from a renovation project that they decided last minute they didn't want. But because it's so big and it's not white, they couldn't get rid of it. So we got it at a great price. So. Or the oops paint or, yeah. the, or the wood scraps or whatever. <laughs> yeah, anything like that that they have because they can't sell it. They can't put it out on their regular retail floor. So if you go and ask um, mm-hmm. what they've got behind the desk, sometimes you can get some really great, brand new, awesome stuff for a really reduced price. Because new windows are very expensive. Oh, yeah. They're very expensive. So it's a good way to sort of get the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Well, Jen, thank you so much for that very extensive overview. Did you have anything else before we move on to Green Life Hacks? Yeah, no, I think you covered pretty much everything <laughs> we could think of. Everything I wrote down, um, you covered. So um, if folks want to learn more about LEAD or get more um, extensive kind of checklists or ideas, where can they go? What kind of resources would you recommend for people? Um, I like the TCEQ website for behavior modification ideas within the home, but also gives you some good, like, pointers on appliance replacements and those types of things. Um, it's under the Take Care of Texas um, website that they have within the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. Um And then, again, you could just go to, like, U.S. Green Building Council if you're more interested in global, commercial, you know, hospitals and those types of buildings and stuff. And really, you can just kind of Google around for, you know, (laughs) green building. Even before this show, you know, you can just – I did a few searches, and a lot of stuff pops up, you know, top – Top 10 things to do to save energy or, you know, those types of things. So You can go down a YouTube rabbit hole of, yeah, yeah, all sorts of (laughs) repairs. And YouTube will even show you how to install it all properly. (laughs) (laughs) And God bless the people who make those videos because I cannot tell you how many I watch and I just think, why would anybody make this? It's purely selfless thing. They're doing it just because they figured it out and they knew someone else would need it. And it is a lifesaver sometimes, so... Thank you, guys, if you do that. <laughs> they probably put a lot of plumbers out of business. Oh, yeah. I'm just true. kidding. No, true. there's a shortage <laughs> of plumbers. <laughs> I know. Actually. Um, and TCEQ, or Take Care of Texas, also will send you resources if you are a teacher or an educator or just someone that wants to give out, like, 
cards, informational stuff on a lot of the things we talked about. You can just order them on their website for free. At least they used to. I think they still do. Yeah, so. and um, on the U.S. Green Building website, there's free educational um, courses that you can watch. It's usually okay. like older presentations, slide presentations that folks are giving on, again, kind of a higher level global or, you know, commercial building or residential builders. You know, So it's maybe a little bit less geared towards a home owner, but um, it's still out there as a resource. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, uh, we're going to move on to our green life hacks. Um, so this is where we share kind of a, an item or experience or program that we um, have benefited from or we've recently discovered and we want to share with our listeners. So, um, Chris, would you like to go first today? Sure. Um, so cell phones are everybody's crazy how much they've taken over our lives to the point that we haven't had a landline in like almost a decade because we all have cell phones but cell phones are very expensive and they keep coming out with new ones every six months to a year to sort of it's bigger it's better it holds more memory and all this stuff so it entices you and and with apple now getting caught making older models actually slower and more efficient you have to buy the newer model you're constantly getting a new cell phone every couple of weeks, but it's so expensive. And for us here, our cell phone companies have a monopoly. We have paid some of, if not the highest cell phone bills in the world. It's stupid. We only have three cell phone companies in Canada. That's it. There's no company. And they're basically, they get to do Same whatever thing. they want with us. And um, so what we do is hand-me-down phones. So they work just as well. Um, I only use mine to make phone calls in pictures so my phone is a generation 7 it used to be Ray's phone uh, my daughter has a phone that used to be my sister-in-law's that's a couple generations old and then my son has my old phone that's like you can't buy phone cases for anymore because it doesn't exist but all he needs it for is to download some games and he's got an app that he can text me if, um, if he's home alone because he's almost 12 so you don't need the brand new cell phone, even though it's flashy and the new Apple has like three cameras on it, which I don't quite understand why it needs three cameras. Um, but it's a thousand dollars, and it may you may not have to pay a thousand bucks up front, but you have to pay it a little chunk on your bill every single time, which means you can't switch it here. That means you can't switch your cell phone plan without paying a huge penalty. So. The plan is hopefully soon when Ray's done paying off his phone, because it takes two to three years to pay off a phone without getting penalized, mm -hmm. um, that we're going to try and not buy any new phones so that we can pick our cell phone plan and bring down the cost. Because we also have no unlimited data here either. You have to pay for that. Right. Uh, I think and it doesn't help that they kind of, built-in um, obsolescence, right? With those, they slow them down. They make them yeah. not last they very long. And yeah, they slow them down. Like, Logan's phone, I think, is a 6S, which is, I mean, now they have an Apple 11. So hers is slow. And we've noticed with that, you can't add memory to it, so you can't make it mm. more efficient or anything like that. Her battery life not is great. So she was asking us today if she could get a 10, and it's like, those are $900. <laughs> 
you plan on getting a job anytime soon and saving up all your money. So they're really expensive. And in Canada here, yeah. our cell phone plans and cell phone companies just suck. They suck. And so for us, we're trying to, that's what we're that's trying to good. get around is secondhand cell phones. Yeah, the other thing is there's a lot of precious metals that go into those yeah. and you're saving those resources and, you know, yeah. and they're just using them. So. so unless your phone is literally you have everything on it and it's your business and your home life and everything you need something current home, this the older series, like one or two generations, even I think mine's like five now. If they're five, they work. You don't need yeah. the brand new one as much as it is because they still break or they're still really fragile. <laughs> yeah cool great tip um jen what is your green life hack for today so i have a hard time choosing um <laughs> all right i'm gonna do two <laughs> okay or maybe uh okay so because we talked about indoor air quality today um when we were needing to buy a new rug for our living room because my husband refuses to not have one. <laughs> he needs to warm up the space. <laughs> um, we had to look for <laughs> we had to look for something that could be washable because our cat and our dog kept like throwing up on our old one. It was just getting super gross. <laughs> so we got this brand called called ruggable it's like super thin but it has like a base matte layer that it kind of like sticks to so it doesn't like move around um but you can just like peel it off and throw it in the washing machine and it can clean itself so that'll help improve hmm. like indoor air quality because a lot of times like carpets and rugs and stuff and even curtains will absorb a lot of those indoor pollutants and so being able to wash it and clean it was important for me. So, um, that was the, that was the brand that we found. And, um, I believe it had like some recycled content in it. So I felt happy about our selection. <laughs> I'll clean the other one for the next show. Yeah. It's called Ruggable. You just go online and it shows you all the different patterns that they have out there and stuff. But. Okay. I'm not a fan of having them at all because I'm just like, you're just creating another thing for our cat to ruin. <laughs> but, um, you it's know, a good compromise. Marriage is balance. That's the key, right? So yeah. you have to compromise. <laughs> well, I, uh, I have a indoor air quality one as well. And I'm hoping after I, after our discussion that it's actually a green life hack and I'm not like, inadvertently making my life worse somehow. But um, I've been using a washable air filter now, like a reusable one for a year or two um, because I just hated buying the cheap air filters or some of them aren't cheap, but you know, the ones that you get in the store that are just good for a month or two and then you throw them out and it, it just seems very wasteful. So I found one that you can actually spray down and clean Um I'm not always the best at doing it as often as I need to. So that's probably an issue, but I'm, I'm curious now, what are your thoughts on those, Jen? Because, um, after hearing your, your discussion about, you know, a certain rating, which I did not know about or look for at the time, <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm just making my, my air quality worse. Um, by trying to reduce waste. 
I don't have a whole lot of knowledge on them. I mean, I know they existed, but unless you're able to really get all those pollutants out and it's, I can't imagine that you're going to have like a high filtration rate of air pollutants. You know, you might just be capturing like dust and hair and, you know, the general floaty stuff that you can actually see with the eye. But when it comes down to like particulate matter, uh, you probably aren't filtering those things out. <laughs> so it just awesome. depends on, it just depends on, you know, if you're not worried about air quality and you're not having allergies and stuff, it might be fine for you. You know, everybody has different needs. <laughs> well, I justified it, you know, it was like 30 bucks up front, but I was like, well, that's, you know, a few months or a year of, of regular air filters. It'll pay for itself. And, um, yeah, so I guess my my green life hack may not be so green this month, but uh, look into that that option. Maybe there are some that are um, better than others if you are so inclined and uh, have the discipline to actually take it out every month and clean it. Which I don't always. I do. mean, I think it goes back to like finding one like what works for you and your needs, and then finding that balance between like environment. You know, because some, like we've talked about before in other shows, it's like some stuff that's good for the environment directly sometimes isn't always good for people. <laughs> like, so this is an example of that. Like, you're yeah. not creating the waste, but you're also maybe creating a health problem long term. Like, I don't know, maybe it's collecting mold or something and you don't know about <laughs> it. Who knows? So it's, again, like you just have to make sure you're following whatever manufacturer guidelines are for that particular air filter. I'm, so. I'm blowing mold spores through my air vents <laughs> instead of like catching the pollution. This yeah. is great. Well, on that note. Um... <laughs> sorry, sorry. We can end it with this. There's always like the um, finding the, there's like the three main circles that all interlink with one another and like finding that happy medium. So it's always like money people and the environment so finding that synergy is kind of the the money spot or whatever you want to call it for all of this stuff so and it goes for every component that you look at if you're going to buy an HVAC unit and it's super high efficient but it costs too much then you know that's not always going to work out so um yeah you have to do those decisions on on your own well, that's a good point because I am guilty a lot of times of sacrificing my personal health or uh, mental well-being to do something that's good for the environment. And then I end up super stressed and unhappy and miserable because I'm taking home all the leftovers from work to compost or recycle because nobody else will do it. And yep. <laughs> hashtag not bitter, but, you know, <laughs> it, it adds up sometimes when you're trying to, like, do all of it and you can't. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's called self-care, and you might need to work on that if you feel For like that. you're taking on too much. Yes. Well, um, Chris, where can we find you online? You can find me here at Sustainably Geeky, also on Epically Geeky, and we have a show on Saturday that we're doing, um, and then Marginally Geeky, and we just did an episode last week um and then our new show creatively geeky which we did a show last week was last week like the week of podcasts i think um and that's out at the end of every month and on instagram at the borough life 
Burrow Life. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And Jen, are you still exclusive to Sustainably Geeky? <laughs> yep. If you have questions or comments, just put them here on this post and we'll respond. Yes. <laughs> you can find will, me here. We will get your questions to Jen if, uh, if it's something I can't answer, which is most likely for this topic. <laughs> um, and you can find me here on Sustainably Geeky. On the other shows Chris mentioned, Creatively Geeky, Epically Geeky, our parent show, and Marginally Geeky, which is our book club. Um, you can also find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. And uh, most recently, you can find me if you're in the Central Texas area um, on KNCT Simply Beautiful, uh, 91.3. We are FM. We are um, starting a new show every Monday at 6.15 p.m. called the Centex Planeteers, named for a local group that I started. And it's just kind of some sustainability snippets. So uh, it's a much more bridged version of this show, I guess. It's just me giving a quick five-minute you know, overview of a certain topic, the Notes version. So um, that started last Monday, and hopefully you'll catch it on the radio if you listen to the radio. So, um, And then, of course, you can find the show... Um, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, please give us a five-star rating or a like or whatever the um, appropriate action is and subscribe to us, um, share us with your friends, and let us know what you want to hear about. We have a lot of uh, topics lined up, but we would love some suggestions from our listeners. Um, and I think that's it. So look, look us up, Sustainably Geeky, and we appreciate you guys listening. Have a great rest of your day. has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 